at all because it's all or nothing. It's the pardon, the freedom, the liberty, the remission. To get, keep this away from me forgiving someone else, to see the bigger terminology, to see how it is used, I'd like to refer you to a number of other passages that are really clear, and it takes it out of any personal or emotional realm for us. For example, in Hebrews chapter eight, uh, 10, verse 18, it says, Nowhere is there forgiveness of these things uh, now. I'm sorry, nowhere. Now, where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Now, you notice the contrast there. It says that where there is forgiveness of these things, and it's referring to sin, it says there's no longer any offering for sin. Here's what it comes down to. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, it was complete forgiveness offered. All payment that needed to be made was paid. And And that that is what God says brought the possibility of forgiveness. If that is true, then nothing, absolutely nothing, can ever be added to that. There is no other sacrifice. You can say, yeah, but I need to be as good as I can be, or I need to keep the Ten Commandments, or I need to live by the Beatitudes or the Golden Rule or whatever else people say. I, I got to be, be my best. best. I got to say enough prayers, light like candles, whatever it is. No. When there is forgiveness of these things, total and complete, unreserved by Jesus Christ, there is no other sacrifice. And so now you catch where this word goes. But it's, oh, I'm sorry, it's not the only place that it's used. For example, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, and most of you know the last part of this verse, but it says there, and according to the law, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or no forgiveness. When John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, he was pointing to Jesus Christ, and for the first time in history, a sacrifice was being offered that didn't simply atone or cover over sin. But in this case, sin was being taken away. And so that whole concept of forgiveness simply says, again, It is once and done, it's taken care of, there's nothing that can be added to it. When we forgive someone else, that's the way it needs to be. And there's one other place. When the New Testament church started and the apostles were preaching, in Acts chapter 10, verse 43, it says this, Of him, referring to Jesus Christ, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, the name of Jesus Christ, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin. Again, it's a finished work. If you have trusted Jesus Christ, all of your sin is forgiven. Which means, how much of your sin do you need to pay for? None. There's only one answer. None, zero, zip. It's all taken care of. That's what this word means. It's complete unreserved. That's the first word. The second word...
only used once, and it causes a lot of confusion because theologically something doesn't sound right. Now I added the. It says um, in the verse, it says whom uh, him whom God, and I've just put in because it's referring to Jesus Christ. It says Jesus Christ, whom God displayed as propitiation, which simply means satisfaction, in His blood through faith. This was, by the way, the world does not because in the many hope. They can put you on medication. It kind of is on the ground. That's about as far as it goes. This morning we are going to continue on. This is our last sermon in the Respectable Sins series of sermons to confronting the sins that we normally simply tolerate in our lives. We've looked at a number of them already. Today we're going to look at three that build one to the next to the next. Impatience, not being patient, and the result will absolutely be that you will be an irritable person and you will irritate everyone else and ending up with our skin and anger. Because the basis of anger is indeed being an impatient person. We're going to look at some definitions, we're going to look at some biblical verses, we'll look at a few illustrations, and actually our last illustration. Come from the trip that Mr. Mike Snavely, my wife and I did. Thank you for praying, by the way. My wife absolutely did everything on the trip except stuff that required getting close to an edge of a cliff. She didn't do those, but uh, she had a good time. So thanks for praying. Uh, we had a great time. Russ took six million five hundred thousand pictures. I'm just joking. It was like half that many. But you might see a few of those go on. Of his pictures today. But we're going to start out this morning by looking at a real quick review. Some of you weren't here before. Uh, the first thing we looked at is ungodliness. God is irrelevant to every part of my life. Contactfulness, I am not acknowledging that everything that happens in my life is a gift from God and I need to Sinful pride, basically, this. I think so much of myself that I think I'm better than other people. He's always is not meeting your own needs. It's disregarding the needs of others. Anxiety. It's an internal thing that happens in my life. I'm fearful when I look at the future. It's the what if. What if this is going to happen? Frustration. It's the angry response we get back physically in that case. And God is looking ahead, forbearing. Giving, giving something, something that, that looks forward to approximates, but is not the real thing. thing. The, the Lamb of God is the real thing. thing. And so all it's saying is that this was not the final forgiveness, like the first word, but it looked forward to that final forgiveness. Only used one time in Romans chapter 3, verse 25. And then there's a third world word that you go, hold it a second. I'm reading your definition before you get to it. And it goes right smack in the middle of there. It has the word divorce. Well, guess what? In the New Testament, this word is also used for a divorce. Why? It's to set free. It's to release, dismiss, send away. 
It's used in a lot of different ways. It's used of debt. It's used of sin. It's used of marriage. It's used of judicial punishment or pronouncements. In other words, it is a word that says to let go, to set free, or to release. That's what Jesus Christ does for us. For example, in Luke chapter 6, verse 37, it says, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, that's the word we're looking at, and you will be pardoned. There's something interesting in that verse. Because the first word, pardon, there is an imperative. It's a command. You are commanded to pardon, forgive, release someone else that done something against you. And then the second part is future tense. And in the future, God will forgive you. We'll get back to that concept again as we go through the sermon. But that's how this word is used. It is something because that means to let go. The, first, uh, the word, for example, is used of divorce four times in that famous passage in Matthew chapter 19. It's also used in the parable we looked at last week. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 27, it says there, and using this word in conjunction with the first word we looked at, it says there, and the Lord, that is the king or God himself, of that slave felt and released him and gave him the death. The word we're looking at right now is release, and the word we give is the first definition we look at. So here's what it comes down to. When he pleaded with the king, the king released him. The Lord him from all the dead and also forgave him. Completely and unreserved. i got to tell you, when you look at that parable, Jesus pulled all the stops out. He said, Says, yeah, you release him, you set him free, and it's unreserved and complete. That's why when I got to the end last week, I said, and so how much did he owe the king? Well, he didn't owe him anything except to go out and forgive his fellow slave. But that is what the word is used. That's how that word used. And then the last word. And we've looked at this one several times before. For example, it's used in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. And by the time we're done with this series of sermons, I hope you have that verse memorized if you didn't before. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. The word is, uh, we use today, for example, charismatic. It means gracious, to show favor. It's a gift that is granted or handed over to someone else. That's the word. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, and this is not the whole of the verse, but it's the part we need for this morning. He made you alive together with him, that is Christ, having forgiven all our transgressions, all the times we went over the line. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken out of the way, has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Again, look at the concept. God has been gracious to us. God has shown favor to us. He has handed us over, granted to us freely what we needed, and that's forgiveness of sin. We can't do it on our own. We can't try our best. Somebody else can't do it for it except for one person. And notice it was canceled on the cross. That certificate of debt against us. 
the decrees against us were completely canceled. Why? Because we deserved it? No. We absolutely did not deserve it. We're guilty. The decrees against us were real. They said, Paul Mulfair is a sinner. And not only was he born that way, but he's done it. And if you don't believe him, ask his wife, ask his kids, ask his neighbors, and ask other people at church. You know, they'll tell you, hey, that guy doesn't always got it together. He's a sinner. You would all be right if you said, I got problems. But guess what? I also know that those problems were nailed to the cross and canceled out. That's his work. Why? Because I deserved it? Nope, because God is gracious. God gave me a gift. I didn't deserve it. Neither do you. But he wants you to have that gift. So those are the words. And we'll get back to that word at the very last uh, passage of Scripture. We'll get back and see that word in action, in an actual case that the Apostle Paul dealt with. So... Today, as I said, we're going to look a little behind the scenes and see how this all works out. First of all, what is the basis of our forgiveness? First of all, it is God's forgiveness of us. I call this forgiveness from the heart. We've already quoted uh, from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. But in this case, it's a unilateral gift that I give toward the person who has offended me. They They haven't haven't said a thing to me. me. I haven't conversed with them. They They may not even know at this point that that they have offended me. I have not approached them and confronted them on it. We haven't discussed it. They may not even know it exists. But I, from my heart, because I've already been forgiven, because I've trusted Christ, all my debts are canceled. I'm completely and unreservedly set free. I am to turn around and forgive that other person. That's forgiveness of the heart. By the way, if you don't practice this one, when you go to confront someone or deal with the, the subject the, in, at hand, whatever that offense is, you're going for a fight. You've got a chip on your shoulder. You've got an axe to grind. But when you've already forgiven them ahead of time, now you can go with a totally clear conscience because you have already forgiven them. And if they do come to their senses and say, wow, I've, I've, I've wronged you, forgive me. You can, you can literally, and I've done this, you can say to that person, I've already forgiven you a long time ago. But yes, you're forgiven. That's this concept. As we looked at, uh, I believe last week I actually quoted this, but it says, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. If you've trusted Christ, he's forgiven you everything. He says, turn around and do exactly what I've done for you to someone else. Point B is, the basis can be on the... Uh, forgiveness forgiveness can be on the basis basis of repentance repentance and confession. confession. So So in in this case, case, the initiator of this action is the one who actually was the offender. He's the one that caused the harm or the the problem. And they realize that, oh, no, I can't believe I did that to so-and-so. I need to go and make that right. They change their mind. That's repentance about what they did. And confession says to say the same thing about it that God would or the other person would. And they come to that person and confess it. Now, notice, if you think this is hard 
stuff that I'm referring to up here. It's not hard. It's impossible on your own. That's the way I would put it. Because it says in Luke chapter 17, verse 4, And if he, that your brother, sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. Seven times? And then Jesus took it and said, oh, by the way, just in case you didn't get it right, seven times, uh, 70 times seven. But notice what the apostles did. Said to him, just on seven times a day. They said, Lord, increase our faith. Now I've got to tell you, if you have somebody that, that messes with you seven times a day and comes back seven times, after about two or three times, you go, you know what? They haven't repented. They don't really mean it. I'm not forgiving them. No wonder the apostle said, Lord, increase our faith. Because guess what? How many times does God forgive you in one day? You can't even count them. And he says, if somebody is... Could be your spouse. Ooh, would that be not good? Could be one of your kids or the parents of the kids. It could be your neighbor. It could be a coworker. Could be somebody here at church. Doesn't really matter. They come back and say, "You know what? I did you wrong one more time." He says, "Forgive them." That's hard, Lord. My emotions don't like that. My mind says they're fooling with me. They're messing with my head. They're using me. Lord, increase our faith. I told you it's not hard. It's impossible on your own. It has to be an act of faith. And then the last one, and I'll have, I'll, uh, have a whole sermon that goes with this, but this is forgiveness as the result of confrontation. Luke 17, verse 3 is one of the places I would first go. And as you first look at it, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but when you look at it, uh, well, let's read it. It says, be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. So you go and you ream him out. Well, if you look up the word, you're going to find out it doesn't say go ream your brother out. Give him a piece of your mind. Let him know how bad he is. That is actually not what it says at all. It's the word, the basis of the word, and you can look it up, is the word honor. To, to give, give value, value to, to, to give, give weight, weight to, to that person. person. Wow. You, you see, if someone has wronged you and you really honor the relationship, you really value the interaction you have with that person, it means you're going to put your reputation, you're going to put your pride, you're going to put everything on the line because you want it to continue. You give weight to it. And so it's out of regard for the person. You want the best for them. You want the best for the relationship you have with that person. And so you go. You honor the person by going. Now, does it mean you, you let them know exactly what happened? Yes, it also means that. But the basis of it isn't, I'm giving him peace in my mind. I'm going to let him know how bad he is. That's not it at all. It's like, no, this is real. It was bad. But you know what? I want the best for both of us. On Wednesday night, person unnamed, someone came up to me before prayer meeting with a box of tissues and said, Pastor Paul, you might want to use these. Now, that person was not doing that because they don't like me. They were doing it because they honored me as the pastor and didn't want me to go around with something on my nose the rest of the night. You know what? I appreciated that. It was kind of embarrassing because... 
Yeah, nobody, nobody likes, likes that. that. But, but you know what? The truth is, I am glad that that person did that because I didn't have to go around. They, they told me afterwards, they said, yeah, I, I don't like when something's wrong with me and nobody tells me and then I go around all day and that way. You know what? That's this concept. It had nothing to do with forgiveness in this case. It's just the concept that you really are looking up, for, up to the person. You value the person. I appreciated that. Continuing on. Um, this, this is, is, by the way, way a, a transaction between both people when a confrontation. We'll talk about that a lot in the future. But let's look at um, two more things. Uh, the second point this morning is why we don't forgive. And I just have a list here. It's a laundry list. They are in no particular order. The same as the last ones. They're in no particular order. First of all, it's not fair. I have heard it over and over and over again. They're the ones that did the wrong. Why do I have to be the one that forgives them? Because that isn't fair. I agree. But guess what? They can't do anything about it. You have to do the forgiving. Yes, you were wrong, but you have to do the forgiving. And so it's why we don't forgive. We think it's not fair, so why should I do it? Guess what? The most unfair thing that ever happened in all the world was a perfectly sinless man, Jesus Christ, died on the cross for your sin. So you could have forgiveness. Refer back again to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. By the way, memorize that, if you would, please. Okay, because we'll keep coming back to it. We don't care or love. You know that you won't forgive unless you care or love the other person. Because you don't care. So they wronged you, and you're going to hold it against them. You're not going to forgive them. It requires you to care about people and to love people. So if you won't forgive someone, better check your love meter. Find out if you're loving your neighbor as yourself or loving your enemies. Because that's what God says to do. By the way, he says husbands love your wives too. So whatever they do, you better forgive them, guys. Okay. It's hard. It's not easy. I don't even think I need to make any comments on that because I've already been over that several times. But it's not easy. It's hard. We need to make a choice. As I already mentioned... Forgiveness is an act of faith. I'm taking God at his word. Simplest definition of faith, I take God at his word, leave the results to him. God says, I am to forgive. If God said it, that's good enough. I just simply need to act upon it. That's a choice that I have to make. I have two choices. I can be an unforgiving kind of person, or I can be the forgiving kind of person. It's a choice that I make, but again, it's always based on what Christ has done for us. We believe that it gives us power over that person. I got the goods on you. You did me in. You know what? I can blackmail you. I can cause misery in your life. You do it again? I'll tell everybody what kind of person you are. We, we think, think we have, have power over that person. person. I propose to you the exact opposite is true. Do, do you, you have power? power? Yeah, you do. It's very fleeting. In reality, the person has power over you. Back to that one in a moment. Well, if I forgive them, it doesn't solve the problem. You're exactly right. It only solves one problem. You being an unforgiving person. 
But what it does do, and you've got to remember this, is only after you've forgiven that person can you ever actually work out a solution to that. Whatever it happens to be. There might be a misunderstanding. There might be jealousy. Who knows what it is that caused it? Or the person just may be a knucklehead. Who knows? But you can help them. But guess what? You can't even help them until you've first forgiven them. And so you can't even deal with the problem because otherwise it looks like you've got an axe to grind. You're, you're holding it over them. Some people don't forgive, and I just ran into this one lately because the person said, well, if I forgive my husband, it'll be like the problem really doesn't matter. That is absolutely not true. To forgive someone, you have to see the problem for what it actually is. Despicable, horrible, whatever. You need to see it for what it is. So forgiveness doesn't minimize the problem. It verifies the problem. I need to feel like forgiving. I'm going to tell you something. I'm just going to tell me. I never feel like forgiving somebody. Do I forgive people? The answer is, yes, I do. But not because I feel like forgiving them. I do it because it's a choice that I make because it's a godly choice. If I wait till I feel like forgiving someone, I'm going to go through life as the unforgiving kind of person. So it's not based on my emotions. It's based on choices that I make. Other people don't forgive because they say forgiveness takes time. Now, there's, there's partial truth to that and only a little bit of truth. Do you need to really think through what happened? The answer is yes. Because you really don't generically just... And prayers that say, Lord, if I've offended somebody or somebody's offended me, I forgive them and Lord, forgive me. That's not forgiveness. That's not confession. That's none of those things. But the truth is, we're not talking years or months or even sometimes hours. It's just like, okay, I recognize what happened. I see what happened. I need to make the choice. But a lot of people tell me, I'm trying, I'm working on it. That tells me, no, I'm not really willing to deal with it in most cases. So that's why we don't forgive. You might have a few others that you would like to add of your own. Those are the ones that came to mind for me. Let's look at the last one. Why we need to be forgiving. This is the crux of the matter. That's why uh, when we get to the end of this list, that's why you have Matthew, I mean, uh, Mark chapter 11 written down. First of all, we tend to keep score. First Corinthians chapter 13 verse 5 says this. Love does not... I don't believe it. I just lost. I just totally lost it. I, I can't believe that. Does, love does not take into account a wrong suffered. I didn't even have to look it up. God gave it back. But we're accountants. We go one strike, two strikes, three strikes. We tend to keep score. You know what? They sinned against me twice today. They sinned against me last year and three years ago and ten years ago. And by the way, that person did me in back when I was in grade school. They took my toy on the playground. Yeah, you you think think that's that's not true? true? People People do those those kinds of things. We keep score. So why do we need to forgive? Because we will be scorekeepers, and love says you cannot be a scorekeeper if you're going to show love. 
Number two, we need the freedom. Remember the, ver- the, the definitions of, of uh, forgiveness here? Most of them has something to do with freedom, release, or pardon, that kind of thing. Well, we need freedom. The other person needs freedom from being an offender. But I need the freedom that I've released that person. Because I am bound up with that person if I do not forgive them. And so I literally become a slave to that person. I'll get back to that. We ruin relationships. You don't have to look around too much to find out that unforgiveness ruins marriages. It ruins families. Kids against parents, parents against kids, brothers and sisters against brothers and sisters. Go through life without ever forgiving. Every time I do a funeral, I take that as an opportunity to challenge whoever is there. A funeral is a good time to look at the relationship with the people sitting around you. Because I always say this, and people came up, people have actually come up to me after a funeral and said, do you know our family? I'm like, no, I know no one in your family except the person that died. Well, you don't know that there were people today in here today that haven't spoken to each other for 20 years. And you know what? I always use that opportunity to say, don't waste this. You're reminded of how short life is. Be a forgiving kind of person, whether it's a family, whether it's any other relationship. The power of the other person. I mentioned this earlier. Because when I don't forgive, I am drugged down to the other person's level. They literally have power over me because I'm an unforgiving person. People get mad at me when I tell them you're becoming like that person if you don't forgive them. What do you mean? What they did to me was so horrible. How could you ever say that? I'm not saying you become an abuser or somebody that just is disrespectful or, or any of those types of things, but you have gone down to their level of living. They literally have power to bring you down. When you forgive, two people are released, the other person and you, the power of that other person over you. And indeed, we need to be forgiving, and this verifies what I said earlier. It verifies that the problem is real and significant. Because Because if if you you don't don't need need to forgive them, them, it really wasn't a big deal. deal. It was was a little little mistake or whatever whatever else. And by the way, I'm not saying you don't need to forgive people even for mistakes. But sometimes things happen and you go, that's not a big deal. That's not what I'm talking about. But when you forgive, you are really, in your own mind at least, saying, no, it was a real problem. It needed a real solution, I needed to forgive them. It was significant. It made a difference. It's obviously a command by God through Christ. Remember, pardon, command, if you want to be pardoned. And now, by the way, that is not talking about salvation. That's talking about our everyday living, continuing. You become like that person. It's a little bit than the power of the other person over you, but you become a sinful person because guess what? Unforgiveness is sin. And so when you don't forgive that person, you're living in sin. Wow. It gives us peace. We need tranquility. We need harmony in the midst. And this is not the world's kind of peace where there is no conflict. Just because you forgave someone doesn't mean the problem has been dealt with. Remember, the only problem that's been dealt with there is unforgiveness. But 
you can now have the tranquility to, and, and the harmony to be able to deal with that. I need peace. God's peace is not the absence of conflict or bullet flying. It's tranquility and harmony in the middle of, in the midst of the storm. The eye of the hurricane, if you will. And this one here, we are back to Mark chapter 11, verse uh, 25. Here's what it says. It says, and whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone. In other words, this person has offended you and you have something against them. So that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your transgressions. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. That's a totally different word. Before it was pardon. Now it says transgressions. And he uses the word forgive. Did you notice what it says? It says that if, and this is on a practical, daily, experiential level, not talking about salvation. It's just simply saying, if you're an unforgiving person, don't go back to God and ask him to forgive you. Because he's going to go, hey, you know what to do first. An illustration that has nothing to do with forgiveness, but has to do with marriage. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, uh, you may know, it says, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman. And grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. If you do not look at your wife and treat her correctly, it says God hinders your prayers. So your prayers bounce off the ceiling. In this case, he says, if I don't forgive, I'm not going to be forgiven. And guess what you are when you're not a forgiven person? You're miserable because you know you've offended God. And God says, if you won't forgive brothers and sisters who you can see with your own eyeballs and you can interact with, I'm not forgiving you either. And you end up living a miserable life. And your lifestyle is horrible. The The most miserable miserable person in the world. I've said it many times and I'll say it a lot more. The most miserable person in the world is not an unsaved person. They don't know any better. The most miserable person in the world is a Christian living out of fellowship with the Lord. And most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, it comes because we will not be forgiving. And we're at odds with God. And our life is miserable. If you think, well, maybe... You pick one verse out of the scripture. Everybody knows the Lord's Prayer. You know what it says in the Lord's Prayer? And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Transgressors as we for trespassers as we've forgiven those who trespass against us, if you use a different version. Doesn't matter. Same idea. And then it goes on to give an explanation. Most of us stop before we get to the explanation. Fourteen and fifteen, it says this. For if you, for if, if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. I don't know how you get it any closer. If you're looking at your life and you're going, this Christian life is misery. I would challenge you before you leave today and today, go before the Lord and say, Lord, Are there people that have offended me and I haven't forgiven them? I encourage you. I plead with you. Please, 
please, please. It could be from a long, long time ago. There are people I deal with that the offenses have happened when they were children. And they're still holding on to them. And then you wonder why your life is miserable. Because God says, if you won't forgive them, I'm not forgiving you. And let's face it, all of us got a truckload. We got a truckload. Nah, train load. <laughs> Put whatever in there you want. Because we really do. One last thing. We need to be forgiving because Satan will take advantage of us. One last passage, and I will do this one in uh, a lot more detail in the future. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, it talks about forgiving someone. The context of that is 1 Corinthians chapter 5. There was literally a man in the Corinthian church living in incest with his stepmother. And the leaders of the church didn't confront him on it. The Apostle Paul was not happy with the letter, said, deal with it. And so, to their credit, they actually dealt with it. They dealt with the guy. We don't know exactly what they did, but this is the outcome of it. And uh, I have uh, taken out the parts that aren't necessary for my point this morning. But it says, sufficient for such a one is the punishment which was inflicted. You should rather forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, such a one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Reaffirm your love for him. And then the Apostle Paul says, this is the test that I've given you, whether you're obedient in all things, including forgiving someone and comforting, walking back into the fellowship. And notice why he says that. So that no advantage would be taken of us, referring to Christians in the church, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. Satan is an opportunist, always has been, always will be. And part of that unfor- uh, being unforgiveness, he will take advantage of that. And he will drag us down. He'll drag this church down. He'll drag your family down. He will drag you down. He'll drag anything down. You know why? Because unforgiveness just spreads like the common cold. Because if I'm unforgiving, I'm miserable to the next person. They're miserable. It just works that way. Whole churches split and all kinds of factions happen because one or two people won't forgive and then they start taking sides and it affects, infects, affects the whole congregation. Families, identical. Workplaces, identical. It just does. Remember, I need to forgive. Why do I need to forgive? Last Last two things, if I don't forgive, God doesn't forgive me, and Satan will stick his foot in the door. And he'll absolutely do everything, not only stick his foot in the door, but get in the door. And take over your life, take over the church, take over your community, take over your workplace, whatever it happens to be. That's what Satan does. Let's all stand together as we close in prayer. Kind of end uh, pretty tough here. But you know what? The good thing is... You can be a forgiving person. It's a choice that you make. And I encourage you as, we're, as I'm praying, if you know there's something you need to deal with in this area, please, by all means, don't let today go by without dealing with it. You might need to make a phone call. You might need to walk over to somebody and shake their hand right now and say, hey, brother, sister, I was wrong. I've been holding the grudge against you. I've been angry at you. Whatever it is, you might need to go home. You might need to go out to your car and look at your spouse and say, you know what, enough's enough. I need to forgive you. 
and you might need to confess some things too. Let's pray. Father, this is hard stuff, but it's absolutely essential. Lord, thank you for reminding us today. Thank you for giving us the basis, your complete unreserved forgiveness of us, your graciousness to us. Lord, help us in light of that to forgive, to be gracious, to pardon those who have sinned against us, who have wronged us, who have hurt us. Lord, I pray that we would not allow these words in this time to be null and void, but we'd allow it to bring the freedom, the joy, the peace into our lives and into other people's lives, the ones we need to forgive. Lord, I pray that you would do your perfect work as only you can do. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Go 